really it all comes down to figuring out is your company profitable or not? And if it's not, how to make it profitable? And if it is, how to make it more profitable? And as you grow and scale, sometimes what you have to do is you have to take some of that profit and reinvest it back in the business. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen and we're talking about success habits and habits for financial success. So Tanner Larson and I just talked about personal finances and then we got into business finances. So some of Tanner's and mine and my success habits and the things that we do for financial success. And one of the biggest things that's happening right now inside of our mastermind group and all the Facebook groups that we manage is this cash flow roller coaster of ups and down months that we have and real estate investors that are growing and scaling their businesses they're going from you know five deals a month to 10 deals a month are starting to get jammed up with cash flow and start worrying about profitability so you guys just have me today so i'm going to talk about some of my journeys over the past four years and these cash flow roller coasters that I've been on. I'm going to talk about some of the different things that happened to me and some of the things that I did to get out of those. And hopefully some of those lessons and stories will help you wherever you are. And I'll try to give some, some tips and tricks and break down some of the business finances and some things from a really high level that you can look at as a business owner as you grow and really dumb it down to the, the real nuts and bolts of what you need to know. I realized after talking to Tanner, if we get too far into the weeds about in the details of all the numbers and all the financial aspects, the people who are big picture running a business who just, maybe they're just getting going or they have other people in the company, they're, they're not necessarily, you know, CPAs or accountants or really financially savvy, but they need to understand a few of the basics. So I'm going to go through some of that today. I'm going to talk about some of the things for cash flow. I'm going to talk about some of the differences between wholesalers and flippers. I'm going to talk about the differences between new uh, investors and seasoned investors, so bigger companies. And then also kind of cost of goods and some of the different things that we need to know. And some of the numbers that I look at and I run inside of my company to make sure that we're successful. Because at this point, I've got Nate Johnson, my COO, running the company. I've got Madison, our financial controller. And we have a bookkeeper now inside the company that they manage it all the day to day. And I just see these high level numbers. And there's just a couple things that I need to know to run the business and make sure that things are going well. That way I have a little bit of a barometer of what's happening inside the company. So we can talk, we're going to talk about all that stuff today. And hopefully I don't bore, bore you with a bunch of financial things, but I love talking about money. You guys heard it on the last podcast. You're going to hear it on the upcoming podcast, but really this is the lifeblood of our company is profit. So Tanner talked, Tanner and I talked a little bit about some of the business finances. We mentioned the profit and loss statement, or also known as the P&L, and also the balance sheet. And he talked about owner's equity, and I talked about net worth and things like that. So really, it all comes down to figuring out, is your company profitable or not? And if it's not, how to make it profitable? And if it is, how to make it more profitable? So, and as you grow and scale, Sometimes what you have to do is you have to take some of that profit and reinvest it back in the business. And that's where a lot of people get caught up is they're reinvesting a lot of this money, this owner's equity, this profit, all of these things back into the company to grow it. And what they're seeing is they, they're expecting to have all this money in the account, uh, in cash, reserves, all these things that they can pay themselves big salaries or big dividends and, and they just don't have it because it's not there but they're reinvesting it back in the business. So, or it, worse than that, it's getting eaten up by expenses and they just don't see it. So we'll talk about some of that stuff today. So let's start with, with your business. So there's two things that I really look at in the business. And if you're just getting going, you don't necessarily have to do all of this stuff inside of QuickBooks or other accounting software. We use QuickBooks Online and I think it's a very powerful tool even as you're getting going. So when I got going, I hired somebody. So a lot of you guys know Didi. Didi came in and she did a lot of the 
office management, the lead management, and she also did uh, some of the books. So she opened up the QuickBooks account for us and managed some of the books before we handed it off to a third party bookkeeper. And that was the first thing that I wanted off my plate because I like money, but I, I don't like the day-to-day -day tedious entries of expense. A lot of times what I do is forensic accounting. And I know a lot of you guys that are entrepreneurs know what I'm talking about. A month will go by and you'll go, ah, I got to go back and put all these numbers in and run it all. When I was doing my marketing KPIs in the beginning, I remember I wasn't very good at keeping track of the marketing key performance indicators, but I would, I would carve out like a half a day every couple months and I would go dig through all the numbers and catch up and, and get it done. But on a day-to-day -day, like data entry, I'm just, I know that I'm horrible at that. So I need somebody else around me that can do that stuff. And that was Didi. She was great at that. So she was tracking all of the expenses and spending and, and things like that. So I didn't have a huge payroll. I didn't pay myself any money at that time. I did on paper, but I never took money out of my company. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But QuickBooks Online is a great service. If you don't have a lot of expenses and you're brand new, you could start with something like Excel to just run through all of the numbers. So whenever I had my rental properties, I had five or six rental properties and I was uh, doing one flip a year before I started my company, I did everything on Excel. I managed all of the expenses, all the finances, everything on Excel, kept the receipts and folders. And basically that was it. That's what I had. So I could see what my profit was at the end of that flip. So I put all my utilities, all the interest, everything in an Excel document. And it was for each property. It's not realistic when you start growing and scaling a business, but at the time it worked really well for me. So, and same thing with my rental properties. I did that same thing until I got past about five or six rental properties. And then I uh, put it all in QuickBooks and kind of handed it over to the bookkeeper. So the first thing that you need to look at and whether it's uh, ideally in QuickBooks Online is, or QuickBooks uh, Desktop, is your P&L. So we'll start with the profit and loss statement. So what that is, is basically it's just all your expenses and income throughout the month that are listed out. And so at the top, you have top line revenue. So everything that came in. And this is kind of where flippers and wholesalers are, could be slightly different with cost of goods. So a flipper is going to have cost of goods. It's going to be the cost of the purchase price of the house and um, all the other things that go into the house, right? So, um, and that could be broken down in contractor lines, but let's just assume that you bought the house for $100,000. That's going to be kind of top line when you sell it. You're going to have that. That's going to come out as cost of goods. But the profit and loss statement is just include all of your payroll, taxes, salaries, uh, all of those people, and then you have expenses. So all the systems that you're using, all the marketing costs, all of these things that uh, it's overhead that's going to go in there. And then you're going to come down to your net profit lines. And there's also interest in there and holding costs and utilities and insurance and all of the things that go into our business, whether you're wholesaler or flipper. And I'm going to talk big picture and then I'll dive into some of the, the differences between the two and the struggles that the wholesaler has that the flipper might have and vice versa when you're really looking at cash flowing a business. So then at the bottom, you have this net profit. So at the end of the month, you want to take a look at this profit and loss statement and that's where you're going to see how much money you made that month. And so at the bottom is your net profit. So at the top, you have revenue, then you have a net profit, which is basically um, uh, profit uh, at removing cost of goods. And then you have all the expenses and overhead that are going to give you that net profit bottom line. So that net profit is what you care about. Are you making money per month? And so that's what I look at. I look very closely at that. And I'm not going to touch too much, but a lot of us talk about our top line profit, like our, our gross profit, basically minus cost of goods. So not revenue, but gross profit. And it's important to look at that. Most companies report revenue. Uh, some companies will report gross profit, but we want to see how our company's growing. Our net profitability is very important. But if I'm comparing apples to apples with another company, net profitability is going to be a big piece of this. But to compare Let's just compare, like you're going to compare Target and Walmart and some of these larger companies. They're not going to talk, they're not going to compare net profit to each other. They're going to talk about the size of the company, right? Publicly traded companies are talking about, this is a $100 million company, $200 million company, $1 billion company. They're not talking about their net profit, but that's important to the business owner. So for you, that's really important. But the reason we come on here and we talk about um, comparing apples to apples. So I run a, we did almost $3 million in gross profit this year. It's to show you the size of our organization. So when I talk to somebody else about their flipping operation or wholesaling operation, 
if they're doing $100,000 a year, they shouldn't have 15 people that are working for them if they're doing $100,000 in gross profit. So I know a $3 million company, you've got some infrastructure, you've got systems, you've got people that are working for that company. It gives me an idea of the scale and structure of that business so that I can understand what kind of needs and challenges they might have and where they fit in some of our different mastermind programs. So your P&L is your profit and loss statement. So at the end of the month, did I profit or did I lose? And if you're watching that and it's profitable month over month over month, you're going to build your owner's equity. You're going to build equity in this business. Even if you don't take that money out of your company, you're going to put it back into the business. So you're likely growing. And the reason you're having cash flow problems is because you're taking that profit and you're just reinvesting it back in the company or you're not taking it out and you just don't know where it went. But it should be on the next thing that we're going to talk about is your balance sheet. So you're going to see assets on your balance sheet in your company. So that's where that profit needs to go. If, you, if the profit is not there and it's not on the balance sheet, then either your books are way off or you just don't really understand, like that, your money is leaking somewhere and it's not being accounted for. It might be um, end of year, if you have a lot of promissory notes that you don't pay interest on, it could be interest at the end of the year, or interest that hasn't been paid out, but it's due. So the balance sheet is not up to date. So your P&L, very easy. If you sold 100 bananas for a dollar and you got $100 in top line revenue, and it cost you 50 cents for each banana, so that's $50, then you have $50 of profit at the end of the month. So it's just income minus expenses. So that'll tell you your profitability in the company. So that's one number that I track. You gotta track that every month. You're either making money or losing money. So you should be able to see a progression and not be surprised that you're gonna get hit with uh, loss over loss over loss, or if you're making money, but there's no money in the bank and you're wondering where it went. So this is really what's happening to a lot of our members is they're not watching the financials. So they're wondering where their money is. They're, they, they think they're making money on paper, but when you really dig into the P&L for the month and it's right and it's balanced and it, you know, it's reconciled, then if, you, if you're showing profit at the, at the end of the month, then it's going into equity somewhere in your business on the balance sheet. So that takes me to the balance sheet. The balance sheet is assets that you own and liabilities. So the liabilities being any mortgages, any promissory notes, any debt on the company, anything like that. And assets being any loans that you have out to other people that owe you money, any accounts, uh, accounts receivable. Um, so, and then also your, all your equity in the, in the flips, any flips that you hold, wholesale deals, anything like that. All that stuff is equity on the balance sheet. The problem with a lot of our balance sheets are that we don't show, we show kind of the purchased value on there a lot of times and we, don't, we force equity. So we don't show the after repair value on there. And there's a lot of forecasting and projecting that needs to happen in our business to determine the owner's equity in that company of all the assets that you own. And I'll talk about how we do that in my company in a second. But effectively, the balance sheet is just like your net worth statement for yourself. It's assets, it's all your assets minus your liabilities. And then that gives you a balance at the bottom of the balance sheet. And that's how much equity, so Tanner called it owner's equity, you have in the business. So if you have $150,000 of owner's equity in there, if you have a half million dollars of equity in there, and it's gonna ebb and flow and change depending on the decisions that you make, the things that you buy, if you're gonna lose money on a property down the road, if you're gaining money on property down the road, and that will determine what your balance sheet looks like. So you really gotta make sure that you're not over leveraged, so you haven't borrowed more money than the assets that you have. And so what I like, I like to be around 70% personally inside my business. So. Uh, uh, lots of people are all different. There's a wide range of, of thoughts on this, but that's going to let me hit, take a 30% hit to the marketplace uh, effectively and be able to kind of offload my, my inventory over time. So we're short, we're in there short. We're ideally in and out. You guys heard my 2019 podcast about our flips. We're starting to offload that kind of ghost inventory and we're going to be in and out of properties a lot faster this year because I don't want to be stuck kind of with a property long-term wondering what's going to happen with that, with that deal or with that property, if we're going to make money or lose money. The longer I hold a property, the less money I make. That's the way it's been for me. So that's a P&L balance sheet. Very rough, basic information about finances there. So hopefully you understand that. And if you don't, just take, take a few minutes to read up online, to look into this, to talk more about your balance sheet and your 
profit and loss statement. But at the end of the month, if you've got profit and you, that's happening month over month, you've got equity in your business. Unless you're making really bad decisions and you're buying the wrong things, you just haven't realized the losses yet and they're coming down the road. So some of that is forecasting and projecting. So let's talk quickly about how as wholesalers and flippers, it's a little bit different to look at these structures. So a wholesaler that never holds any inventory, doesn't buy anything, all they do is assignment fees. That P&L should be pretty easy. It's, a, it's all, your, all your profit, so all your gross profit from all your whole assignment fees, so all assignment fees at the top, then subtracting all the expenses and overhead and things like that and giving you your profit at the end. The problem that the wholesaler has in cash flow is work, and, and flippers have this mentality too, it's we constantly add on more systems and new marketing channels and all these different things. And we're not looking at it as a whole. We're not looking every month saying, how much am I spending to get this deal? What you guys look at is marketing cost per deal. So you look at how much, let's say direct mail cost per deal. And you see the direct mail cost you $4,500 to get a deal. And your average assignment fee is $12,000. So now you're saying, okay, I'm making money here, right? I'm making you know, $7,500 on this deal. So I'm making money. But what you're likely not looking at is you're likely not aggregating all of those expenses and overhead and systems and people and salaries and bonuses and taxes and payroll and all of the other things that roll into running a business, office expenses, uh, internet, whatever else you're paying for, you're not rolling that into the operational costs of a deal. So, what Nate and I found when we were really digging into this lately is we looked at, and I'll go back to the banana analogy, and we've been talking about this a lot, is if we're buying a banana for, we're selling a banana for a dollar, we're pretty much buying that banana for 98 cents. Although when you just look at the marketing costs, it's more like 40 cents or 35 cents. But all the commissions, all the bonuses, all the fixed costs, all the payroll, everything can start adding up in a wholesale business. And the, the men, mentality and methodology around this and the reason that this happens is because what we do is we say, it's just one more deal. Every time we add a new marketing channel or a new system or a new fee or a new expense or a new something, we say, it's just one more deal. And what I found is that's become this ongoing saying, whether it's who's pushing it around, I'm not sure. But if you keep adding up one more deal, one more deal, one more deal, next thing you know, you've got to get 10 deals a month to pay for all the one more deals that you said that month. So be very careful about getting into that methodology. And I got into it big time. And I don't want to be hypocritical here because I, I feel like a lot of times what I say about our mastermind group is like $25,000 a year for a house flipper is that is one more deal. Like if we can show you and help you get one more deal, that's it. But this is a total mindset shift in this group and everything. But you, what you do, you can't do is you can't stack one more deal a hundred times up and expect to do 50 deals this year. So you've really got to look at that. And this is what I see with people that have 15 different marketing channels and they're just doing a little bit in each place and they're getting onesie twosie deals. A lot of times what we don't understand is we don't understand the actual operational cost for us to get a deal. And that's, that's the blended average overall, including all overhead, operational costs, everything that you spend, interest, uh, mortgage, all of it to get that deal and to execute that deal. So how much are you buying that banana for before you turn around and sell it? You're a wholesaler, right? You got to buy something and then turn around and sell it for more. And you have to have that markup. And that markup has to include all your overhead and your profit. So profit is the most important thing here for us and cash flow because you want to pay yourself and you want to pull money out and you want to become financially free and you want to do all the things as you grow your business. So a wholesaler, they just keep saying one more deal, one more deal, one more deal. And when they're growing and scaling, they're spending a lot more systems on uh, or money on systems, on people, on growing their staff, but they're not necessarily looking at, all they're looking at is the marketing costs. And as the market goes up and it starts to become more competitive, then our cost per deal goes up too. So we see the cost per deal go up. We see the uh, profit per deal go up. And what we say is, hey, we're making that spread. But then that spread gets squeezed by all the overhead and the people costs. So as you bring on people, you got to start thinking about that. As you bring on systems, you have to think about that. Be careful about saying, it's just one more deal. It's just one more deal. Count the number of times that you say that. 
and make sure that it's adding up to a lot less than the number of deals that you're doing per month already, not the number of deals you're trying to do per month. And we have ebbs and flows in this business. So if we have a really good month and a really bad month, then we might see profit and then we might see loss. And then we have a really good month and these ebbs and flows. So you've really got to start tracking where you are as you go up and down. So um, Tanner mentioned the book Profit First by Michael McAllowitz. And he's got a great quote from that book, which I absolutely love. And it says, when you base your decisions on your best revenue month, you will run out of cash quickly. So when you base decisions on your best revenue month, you will run out of cash quickly. And I think there's no better saying to, to relate to that, to what I'm talking about of this one more deal, one more deal. We're talking about that month that we did $300,000. And we think every month is going to be like that. And then what we do is we project our finances for the next couple months saying, every month is going to be that good. It's going to be exactly like that. So let's start spending like we already know what our revenue is going to be. So the most important thing here is budgeting. Budgeting for what you, where you want to go, what you're going to do, and create this budget. We talk about the runway. I say this runway all the time. I even created a program called the Seven Figure Runway for Flip Hacking Live because it's so important to think about your six-month, one-year, two-year, three-year plan and runway to determine what you're going to be spending and what your budget's going to be. Because if you keep saying one more deal, one more deal, and start inc keep increasing that budget, you're spending what you think you're going to make as you grow you really have to be cautious about doing that because you will be in the red before you start. So you've really got to grow this business and the system organically. And it's not, a, it's, a, it's a marathon. It's a, it's, it's a series of multiple sprints rolled out to a marathon. You're actually building a business here is what you want to be thinking about and focused on. This is a side hustle and you just want to do one or two deals and you're a one man show, fine. Like this is not necessarily going to be an issue for you. But as you're growing a company and growing a business, it is. And I go back to my time when I was building my company. And what I saw was I went into one channel, I had a six month runway and I was, I was constantly just, I, I, it took me four and a half months, which a lot of you know, to get my first deal. And I had spent money for four and a half months. So fortunately I budgeted six instead of three. If I budgeted three, I would have quit or stopped or whatever you want to say. But four and a half months, some money came in and I didn't do anything different. I just kept going the way that I was going. And then we, instead of one, the next month we did two. And the next month we did four. And that was on the same budget. So at that point, then I started investing money back into the company. And fortunately, I had a full-time job at the time and I wasn't pulling a big salary out of the company. I kept my salary on the books, but I didn't pull money out for about a year and a half. I had the ability to do that. Those of you that are pulling money out, you have to really grow cautiously and optimistically, or I'm sorry, cautiously. Don't be overly optimistic about what's going to happen. So be consistent, do some deals, get, build the pipeline, start building out the business, start adding a couple systems, maybe a little bit of expenses. Don't start, just don't take all your money and just dump it right back in and fuel it up. Like slowly grow and start organically growing this company. And so that's what will help you with your cash flow. Fortunately, I was able to put, I was able to grow really fast because I was able to put a lot of my money back in. If you don't have the ability to do that, you have to be a little bit careful. If you need to, some money to live on and you want to put some money back in the business, just don't go saying one more deal, one more deal and stacking them. So, okay, the, that's the wholesaler. The wholesaler is buying the banana and selling the banana and you got to make the spread and then the expenses come out. So, what's the problem with the flippers? As the flippers start growing, what happens with us, with, with flippers is they They'll buy, uh, let's say we're doing one deal at a time. You're doing one deal at a time and you're a flipper and you want to go to two deals at a time. Well, what happens is you got to, maybe you're using hard money and you got a 10% down payment on that one house. And then you've got some of the rehab costs that you got to front before reimbursement and you're using the funds that the company has. So then when you go to two, you basically double the requirement for those resources. So all that money you made on that, let's say you made $40,000 on the previous house from profit. You dump that back in to get from one deal to two deals. So now you go to two deals and that 40,000 just goes right back in the business. And if you paid yourself and you take some of that 40,000 out for yourself, you take 20 out for yourself and 20 gets reinvested back, but you have a $40,000 rehab budget and $40,000 more that you need, then as you get towards the end of that project, you start feeling the stress because you don't have any cash in the bank anymore. And then you start having to self-fund a lot of what's going on. And ask me how I know, because I've been there. I've had to self-fund deals because of my flips. 
I wanted to do more flips. I wanted to start doubling, go from one to two and then two to three and three to six and six to 12 at a month. And so then what happens is you start getting into this churn of cash and you feel like you never have cash and you don't know where it went. It's in there. You have equity built into your business, assuming that you're continuing to make $25 to $40,000 on each project and they're all projected to make money. Then you have equity in the company. The problem is you keep reinvesting it back in and growing the number of deals that you've done, not forecasting and projecting the amount of money that you need to finish that project. So that's where you, the flippers get into hot water as they start growing. So with, with all of that becomes looking at your P&L at the end of the month. And with flippers, your P&L isn't like I had three wholesale deals. So each month it's, it's somewhat consistent. With flippers, it's like, I got, I did close two deals this month and I have none closing next month. So no money is coming back in and I have all this cash tied up in properties and projects and I can't get it back out. So it's constantly this need for cash. So what you got to be careful with that is growing too fast and just doubling over and over and looking and forecasting when these deals are going to close and also what kind of projects you're going to pick. So if you pick a project, let's say I buy three houses this month and one's going to take 30 days, one's going to take 90 days, and the other one's going to take 100 days. And then next month, I pick a project that's, I know that one of them's going to be done, but it's not going to be sold yet. So I have to really look and see where all these are going to sell because now I'm, I might pick a project that's two months and now I have three properties that are running at the same time and are closing at the same time potentially to all come back. But then two months of bare, no income months where I have no money and cash coming in to pay myself, to pay my team, to pay my staff. And I grew and grew and grew. And now I'm reliant on that deal closing before I can get some more money in the bank, or I'm raising capital on the back end to pay my subs, to pay my staff, to pay payroll, or I'm putting my own money in. So what happens a lot of times with, with flippers is they don't properly forecast and project when their money's going out and when their money's coming in and really look at it on a three to six month type forecast. They look at really short term. So you've really got to look long term for that and start strategically planning where that money's going to go and where it's going to come from. So one solution to that is to raise enough money to cover the entire project, including all the renovation costs and all the holding costs and everything. So if you're able to do that, and most flippers will raise over 100% of that. So if they raise 105%, they know that any any change orders, any issues, anything that comes, comes up should be covered in that. So that's one solution to it. The other one is just kind of knowing your numbers, but you never really know when that property is going to sell. So you might have to wait an extra two weeks or one month or two months for that property to sell just based on timing, based on seasons, based on price point, based on rehab, based on the market, everything. So there is a little bit of uh, uncertainty in that, but you can project and plan for a lot of that. And then if you're forecasting out far enough, then you can see where you're starting to get a log jam. And when you can see that coming up, then you have a lot more time to raise money. You guys all know when you go out and raise money at the last second, people can smell neediness. They can smell that you need it. And the more that they smell that you need it, the higher the interest rate or the faster you need money, the more you're willing to pay. And then the interest starts eating you up. So these are the kind of gotchas with wholesalers and flippers that I see in this cash flow roller coaster, I like to call it, is we, we are constantly growing our business, but we're never able to pay ourselves enough or we feel like we have, we're making money. But you are making money. If you're profitable, if the P&L is making money and you're reinvesting it back in your business, you're growing a business. It's very, very rare for a company on year one, year two, year three, a typical company to even make money. Most of these owners are just dumping money back into inventory, back into product, back in investing it back into the, the growth, the building, the, the people, hiring, training, all of that stuff. And this is an incredible business where we can make money and quite, quite a lot of money early on in our careers and right as we're getting started and we're building something big right out of the gate. So you can just kind of have to determine what you want to build and how big. And as you start scaling, you really want to start scaling responsibly. You want to scale organically. You don't want to force the growth by just pumping money back in. If you need to pull some money out, you need to pay yourself, you need to have money for your family and all that stuff. I was able to grow my business really fast because I had another full-time job that I didn't have to pull all my money out. So those are the differences I think between the wholesalers and the flippers that I see. With the, the new and seasoned investors, what you have is the newer investor, as far as tracking 
they don't necessarily need to track as, as tight because you don't have a lot of overhead and expenses. So typically, there's not, in that banana analogy, when you buy a banana for 50 cents and sell it for a dollar, you don't have another 50 cents of, of operating costs and overhead and expenses and payroll and, and taxes and insurance, all that stuff in there. But as you get to be a bigger company, you really got to track the bottom line because now every little change, five, 10% change is huge to the bottom line of that business. So little tweaks can make big differences and you can just keep saying one more deal, one more deal and just keep adding on these expenses and overhead until you don't even realize it, but you're, you're, a neg- you're in the negative each month. And you don't even know where it went because everything, the margins looked really good from kind of uh, revenue to gross, like without taking out all those operating costs, just the marketing costs alone, that's it. The, the margins look really good, but you've got so much overhead that you're getting crushed. So that's what I think the difference between the new and seasoned investor, the KPIs. So tracking your marketing KPIs and all of these numbers and things that we've talked about a ton, that's really important as you become a more seasoned and bigger company. As you're a newer company, I still think it's really important to track that stuff, but you can get away with a little bit of slop, like me waiting two months to to run those things, to do those things. Now, as we've gotten into a more competitive market with a lot of people in the marketplace, that stuff becomes, does become a lot more important to know where you're getting deals, where should you focus, all of those things. So, um, the KPIs are, that's the solution to this. If you track your numbers and your KPIs, so the question in my head before I recorded this is, what is the solution? What are like the, the couple solutions to these problems? And the number one is tracking your KPIs. And whether that's it's leads, it's sales, it's all those things. Because what that's going to do is it's going to drive your top line. That's going to drive your revenue. That's going to drive your um, that's going to drive your profit. It's going to drive all of the things like getting more deals in the door. It's going to add a denominator to the, you know, you're dividing by 10 a month instead of three a month. That's really going to change a lot of what you're doing. It's going to reduce the, the cost per contract, the cost per operational cost per deal, all of those things to allow you to profit a lot more. So it's going to increase your profit by spreading those expenses, those operating costs over more deals and being more effective. So that's where your, the operational side of your business comes in is those KPIs, tracking those. And then also in the financial world, you know, really tracking the numbers and knowing your numbers. A lot of people say, I, don't, I just don't know where the money's going. Well, what are you looking at? What do you compare? Are you looking at your P&L every month? Are you looking at the profitability of that month? Are you looking at the last month and the month before that and seeing what you did differently and really looking at your expenses, looking at the credit card statement and saying, why am I spending this? I don't even use this. How many expenses can you cut? When we go back to that book, Profit First that Tanner mentioned and we've been talking about, it's all about cutting expenses. So his, his model is, is the old adage, Mike Michalowicz is the old adage of sales minus expenses equals profit. That's what most people do, right? Sales minus expenses equals profit. What he tried to, he's trying to do is revolutionize that and say that sales minus profit equals expenses. So Tanner and I talked about paying ourselves first in our personal life. So we take money out from, I've always taken money out of my paycheck and just put it right into savings, put it right into um, investments, put it right into other accounts. And then I start paying my expenses. And so I don't, I don't spend all my money and then whatever's left over, I save. I save first, I tithe first, I do all these things first. And then after that, then I have the, the, the mandatory items that come out. So the mortgage and the um, typical expenses like food, like uh, food, shelter, uh, a little bit of entertainment, some of that thing. And then it's the, it's the expenses that can be adjusted. So then it's vacations, trips, you know, all the, uh, if I need some, some clothes, I want to do something for fun, all those things that can be adjusted and not spent and aren't mandatory. Um, that's what happens. And so when that bucket starts shrinking, that's when I start cutting back on some of the, uh, the random things that I do, the things that can be cut that are good to haves, right? Nice, not necessary. So with this sales minus profit equals expenses, what you're doing is you're taking those operating expenses and that operating account, when it runs dry, you're seeing at the end of the month, well, okay, I, I, I need to make this much profit. These are how much sales we have. I don't have enough for these operating expenses. I need to start cutting operating expenses because we're overspending. Basically, it's budgeting. It's, it's budgeting. And if you can create a budget for your company and then make adjustments off of variances, 
what happens is we don't really budget. We're real estate investors like throw it against the wall and see what sticks and let's hope we do some deals. And one, just one more deal, one more deal, one more deal, right? Oh, it's just another, just another, you know, $500 a month, just another thousand dollars a month, just another 300 bucks a month. And we just keep adding it up. And next thing we know, we're spending $30,000 a month on a lot of stuff that we don't use. And so if you can go through your credit card bill and start shutting things off and doing a lot of that stuff, then this will reduce the operating expenses that you need. So do I need it? Is it making a return? What's the return on the investment that I'm making? And really looking at that stuff. So that's, I think that profit first model. So we moved to that profit first model. And let me, uh, I'll share a couple of experiences that I had. We, as we started growing and scaling the business for, like I said, for a year and a half, I was putting everything back in the company. It was on the balance sheet. So it was, it was owed to the owner and it was on the balance sheet, but I didn't take it out for a year and a half. In a year and a half, we started, we built a company that could start kind of plateauing a little bit and wasn't growing a ton. And we took a little break and I pulled my money back out. And then I got to the point where I said, I'm not putting money back. When I put money back in, it's going to be a loan to the company. And so we would get to these growth periods and get to these kind of walls that we would hit. And I'd have to put money back in. I just put $165,000 back in the company a couple of months ago. It's probably four or five months ago because we got into a cash crunch, just cash roller coaster, buying a bunch of houses. Um, one of the hard money lenders didn't uh, close in time. So I said, let's just, let's just buy it. We'll just use our cash. We got cash, right? I looked at the, I did exactly what we're not supposed to do. I looked at the bank balance and I said, we've got money. Let's use it. And then sure enough, two months later, uh, the company came knocking on my door and said, Hey, uh, you know, that house that we bought hasn't sold yet. We need some money to make payroll and to pay the credit cards down and do all the things that we're doing. And all, and I said, all right, it's my fault. Because I looked at the bank balance and said, do it. Instead of just wait a couple days, let's just get the loan that we're supposed to have. And uh, it's my fault. So I lent the company some money and it was supposed to come back in a couple weeks that some of those houses kind of pushed down the road. And next thing I know, I didn't get it back for like three months, two and a half months. And while I was making interest on it, it's just, that was money that I expected to have in my account. And about, about two years ago, I remember a very specific time when we had a lot going on. Uh, James had just got out of the hospital. I was working in the seven-figure company. I was running blackjack and uh, Nate had just came in. We, were, we had a bunch of people kind of like quit. We had all this turnover that was happening in the company. We're building out the right people. And I, ha I had to put some money into the company to, to keep it running. And I got to a point where I remember my, my HELOC on my house was maxed out. I had all of my, um, I was doing some other loans and stuff. I just got overextended. I got to the point where I, I remember being so stressed out and, and worried about the business, about uh, and that I was worried about making my personal credit card payment and, um, and payments on our, on our house because I had a ton of money on paper, like my net worth sheet, my balance sheet, right? Your balance sheet of your business, the balance sheet of my life looked good. I had all these assets. I had loans to the company. I had loans to other people, but I didn't have any cash in the bank. And the credit card was coming up and I remember kind of like snapping at my wife from time to time, like really trying to cut back on, you know, like almost like blaming her a little bit. Like don't spend all that, that's, don't buy that stuff. We really need to cut back where we were like asset rich, but cash poor. And I didn't like the feeling. I, and the decisions that I made at that time were horrible. They were bad decisions. My decision-making changed. I was making decisions based on emotion, uh, all, these, all these things happening. I was really kind of like worried. I just, it was bad. You, you get into a bad state, make poor decisions when that happens. And I got to the point where I said, I'm not gonna let this happen again. I'm not going to overextend myself. I'm not going to, I was promising, I was getting into a bunch of different deals. I was, I was at the point where I was promising, you know, lots of things to happen. And I said, I'm just not going to do that again. It, it, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't make sense. So I need to get smarter. And that's when we started reading this kind of stuff. We started reading the book Profit First. They said, we just need to start implementing this when we're ready and we can. And I remember about a year ago, we committed to that and said, we're going we're gonna to implement this system. And that, I think that's the solution that really helped us because now what we do is we pull the profit off the top and it really, 
has let us cut some of these expensive. We, we pull the profit out. We pull um, interest out. So we have promissory note interest that goes into an account. And um, we also pull taxes out. So the taxes come out into an account too. So there's taxes when the tax man comes knocking like they do every year, it's there. And it's not, it's not my concern and my problem. Personally, it's the business has money set aside to pay taxes. And I, I don't personally do an owner account just because I pay myself a, a W-2 salary. So a lot of people that don't pay themselves a salary will do an owner's uh, account also. So there's a lot of different accounts and I highly recommend you guys pick up this book and, and have a read. But there's lots of different other ways to like, the, our interest account is a random account that we set up because it made sense for our business. So profit first and, and implementing that sales minus profit equaling expenses is a huge way to do it. But uh, to go back to my story, I was able to, obviously we sold that house. I got some money back from the company. My, some of the loans started coming back to me and stuff like that. So I got to the point where I, right now I'm, I will never be like fully leveraged and out there. It's, I'm always going to have something because when, when that something goes wrong, something happens, um, the, the people that I let money to are not going to have, they're, they're going to be in the same situation as me. I can't just go knock on their door and say, I need my hundred thousand dollars back that I lent you on that deal. And I understand that that was the commitment that I made to them. So just, but feeling like that. And I know that we've all been there. I've been there multiple times where I've had to make, had to make payroll or had to put some money into the company. And that's part of being a business owner. It's part of what we do, but we can avoid a lot of that by being smart and forecasting and projecting and really taking our finances and owning it taking ownership of it and not saying, ah, I'm a salesperson. I should be out making sales. Uh, you really got to learn this stuff as a business owner. This is one of the things that I like doing, but sometimes I don't take the time to really dig in and jump in and do it. So P&L balance sheet, differences between wholesalers and flippers, new and seasoned, kind of that cost of that banana, right? Like what's the real cost of your, of the banana that you're selling or whatever, you know, the, the contracts, but, or the houses. So what, what you see is you've really got to roll in all these expenses and see your overall operational costs and look at it like this ecosystem that's happening inside of your company. And really dig, like these numbers are, are, are incredibly important. And that one more deal mentality, I feel like we've got to get more out of that. Um, anecdotally, unless you're talking about our mastermind group, of course, right? So uh, I'm just kidding. The, the, that one more deal concept, it's not necessarily having that one more deal concept of, of individual things. It's about stacking them up. It's about adding up that one more deal, one more deal, one more deal until you've got 15 one more deals in your company and you're only doing five deals a month. So it doesn't really make sense. So KPIs tracking solution, KPIs tracking profit first. One, one tip that I'll give you if you're a flipper to really determine what kind of owner equity you have in the company and what it looks like is to, to look at your portfolio as a whole. So if you, let's say you just, for ease of math, you have five flips going on and you've, you bought them all for $100,000 and you've, you're at different stages of renovation. So what I do is I just have an easy spreadsheet that I use and I put the purchase price of the house, how much of the renovation I have done, how much is still left to be done, and then what the ARV is of the house and then what my net should be after we sell it. So minus any closing costs, commissions to realtors, all that stuff. And so in there, if I have any, and any debt that's on the house, right? So it's basically just assets and liabilities. But the problem is our balance sheet as flippers doesn't take into account, number one, what we still have left to spend on it. And number two, what improvements that we've made to increase the value. So we force appreciation. So if you can look at those two things and to then determine how much equity you're likely to have and be slightly conservative with one of those numbers where you have a conservative estimate on the back end to say, okay, the company's going to net 30,000 from this, 25,000 from this, 40,000 from that. Then you can add that up and have your own kind of balance sheet. So I have a balance sheet that, that we look at and then we, we, every, every month or so we'll get together and we'll look and see where are we sitting? What's our leverage? So are we leveraged at 80%, 90%, hundred percent? Have, have I like equity stripped the business or do we have equity in the company? And then we can make some decisions based on that. Maybe we take a little bit less leverage on some of the next deals. Maybe we put a little bit more money back into the company on the next one and I don't take a, a big distribution that year. We really can look at it and make decisions based on that. We have got to make decisions based not on our best revenue month, 
but based on a month to month to month and current state and what's going on and what's happening in the marketplace and what, what, where we want to go and what we want to do and our goals and our vision and our dreams and all the things that we talked about for our EOS planning and everything else that we do. So, all, okay, I wanted to share all of the stuff that's in my head that I've been going through. We're about to go on this cruise with the Seven Figure Altitude and Seven Figure Runway Group, and this is going to be a big part of it. So, I hope that I, I mean, I plan on doing a presentation there, and hopefully this isn't all that I have because I'm going to share a lot of this there. But I think everybody needs to hear this. Like, this is the overarching thing that I'm hearing, and I think a lot of it is, the mar like, the market is good. It's really good. There's a lot of competition out there and there's a lot of people getting into the marketplace. And we're competing with a, a, a lot of other investors, a lot of iBuyers, we're competing with lots of other people. And what that's doing is it's driving our costs up. And when it drives our costs up, it's driving our margins down. And when our margins come down and we're paying ourselves like they were, we were before, and we're still trying to invest more money back into our company and grow our company and scale our company, that's where we start feeling like we're getting squeezed. And if we know about that and we plan for it, then it, it, it can become a non-factor and non-issue if you're watching it and you're seeing what's happening. And you really know that at the end of the month, if you made 30,000, then if you're going to take that $10,000 out and put $20,000 in for growth, that's fine. But you got to have a growth plan. You can't just say, I'm just going to double and double and double and double over and over and over again overnight and expect everything to be fine and you did not be on the cash roll or cash flow roller coaster, have no money in the bank because it's not the way it works. So you've really got to be intentional about this. And I know, it, I know this podcast is not for everybody, but there are people that absolutely need to hear this. And I wish that I heard this as I was growing my company because I had to learn the hard way a couple of times. I mean, I, I'm, I, am, I don't really love to share it, but there, there's, I mean, I remember kind of like snapping at my wife and my family for things. I mean, that, I shouldn't be doing that. And I mean, it, I got emotional after doing that. And it's, there's times where I don't want to be in that state. And as an entrepreneur, like I just, you feel like all the weight is right on your shoulders. Like everything is on your shoulders and it's all you, like all your family, the, um, the daycare at that time, the hospital bills, like the, the, uh, all the stuff that my wife's used to doing and buying and the eating out and all the things that we're doing and the mortgage payments and the utilities and everything and all the company expenses and the payroll and making sure we're putting food on everybody else's table, it becomes really heavy. And you're, you, a lot of times what we do is we take that out on our loved ones. And it's the worst thing that we can possibly do every time. I mean, just two days ago, I mean, I'm sitting in my room in tears because I... I, I was, I got some bad news on a message and I just kind of snapped at my son and all this stuff was going wrong. Lucy was leaving. I had all three kids for the weekend and it was like, I just, I, it was, I, I hated it. I hated the way I felt, felt after it. And, um, he, he doesn't deserve that. And that's, that's what happens to us a lot of times when we're in that state, right? So we want to stay out of that state. We want to stay in the state of we're having fun. We're enjoying this. We're having, it's a successful time. And we have these ups and downs and these big ebbs and flows in this business. And if we can project that out, if we can, if we can start thinking longer term and make long-term strategic decisions, I wouldn't have gotten myself in that position. I wouldn't have lent other money out. I wouldn't have committed to another investment because I wasn't looking at the big picture. And I put myself in that position and I made those mistakes and I did those things. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that you guys that are listening to this, take this and, and think about it in your business and look at it and sit down and look at your PL and look at your balance sheet and say, be intentional about your growth and, and figure out where you want to go and how you're going to get there and be smart about it. And along the way, ask for help, you know, reach out and share something. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm concerned that this is coming up. What should I do here? And throw the lifeline out and reach out for help and somebody will be there for you. And I wish that I, I did that more often at those times. I just figured I'm going to take care of it. I'll take care of it myself. I got myself into this. I'll get myself out of it. This is cash flow issue. It's my problem. But we're all going through that stuff, all of us. We've all been in that place. We've all, I mean, I, I put myself in that situation. I've said, I'll get myself out, but I should ask for help. And the biggest thing with all this stuff is asking for help before you really need it. 
before you're so far in that you're six months in, you're one year in, and you were negative, 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 and not even realizing it. And so a big thing with all this is just, you know, be humble and, and know that there's a lot of people out there that want to help you. And we've all been there before. And this power in numbers ideas is incredibly powerful. We can really help each other get to the next level and learn from mistakes. So I want to share some of mine here and hopefully that helps you not make the same mistakes that I made and maybe make different ones and then share them with me so I won't make them too. So that's the kind of the model and concept of everything that we do. And I'm just thankful to be a part of it. I'm honored that I get the opportunity to share this stuff with you guys. And um, for any of you that are listening, I mean, I, I just kind of, after that, I seriously, like two days ago, I'm just in tears, like just almost like just at a point where I just said to myself, like, okay, you've had your pity party. You've had your, uh, you've had your kind of few minutes now snap out of it, get back in the game and let's go. And I went back upstairs and, you know, gave Will a hug. I was just like so overwhelmed with the heaviness of everything that was going on in my life and gave him a hug. We played for the rest of the day. And I mean, he, he didn't know what was going on and nobody did. I mean, for me, it was just, I was, I couldn't believe that I reacted that way. And, um, I, I don't know if he'll ever remember it, but I know that I will. And I don't want to get in those positions again. And I don't want you guys to get in those positions again. So, um, okay. Cash flow, roller coaster management, um, cash flow, P and L balance sheet. This, this is, this is the kind of stuff that you need to dig into in your business. And so I hope, hope this was helpful. I really enjoy you guys. I'm happy that you guys are spending time with me. I'm happy that you're, you know, you got a lot of stuff to listen to out there. So this, uh, if, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher. Um, we're on uh, YouTube now, the seven figure flipping channel on YouTube and, uh, you know, jump in on, on Facebook or Twitter or, uh, Instagram and just let us know what you guys, uh, what you guys think. If you guys are having, a, you're enjoying it, you're listening to it, give me some feedback on how we're doing and how we can better serve you guys. So that's what we're here for. We're here for you. And I'm really enjoying doing this. And it's, uh, it's nice to spend time with you guys and, and talk through some of the problems and issues that I've had and also get to know everybody else in our world and outside of our world and, and, just learn things with you. So um, thanks for sticking around with me on the seven figure flipping podcast. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.